It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Oh my, look at this poor, distraught, aging, humped over little man as he carries that heavy book, that book for all the ages, that book of history. Here he is. Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you doing today? I'm running out of things to introduce you with. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're, you know, it's been about seven years now. I mean, uh, you can only uh, pull out so many tricks, I guess. <laughs> By the way, I met one of your children the other day. Okay. A lovely lady. I think it was Alyssa. Yes, that was her. And it just absolutely astounds me how she could be your daughter. Okay. I know I left that open-ended. No, she's a very, very, <laughs> very, very nice lady. I, I just absolutely thought she was the nicest gal, and she, she didn't know it was me. And she said, you're Zeb Bell? I, you're Zeb Bell? I said, yes, I am. <laughs> she's a very nice young lady. Well, I, I'm prejudiced, but I think so, too. And uh, I'll tell you what, you have an extremely nice family, and I poke fun at you a lot, and sometimes you do the same to me, but, man, you are blessed. Oh, I know that for sure. In fact, this coming weekend, we're going to have everybody here, all the kids, all the grandkids. Uh, so it's going to be a great weekend. How, how many people does that mean? Well, let's see. Five kids and their spouses, so that's ten. And then number 11, a daughter that's not married, so that's 11. And then 11 grandkids, so that's 22. So, but we'll go out and get some pumpkins and we'll uh, get out the skeet thrower. And that's not the problem. Skeet. That's not the problem. The main issue that needs to be decided and concerned about is how many bathrooms have you got? <laughs> we may have to uh, pull in an outhouse. <laughs> Uh, it'll be good. All right. What are you going to talk about today? Well, I'll tell you what. You know, one thing that's always, of course, in my profession, that's always uh, fascinated me is the study of medicine mm -hmm. and the history of medicine. And so today I'm going to talk about homestead doctors. Okay. So the doctors of the Old West, which played a huge part in, uh, you know, the cavalry, the mining, the uh, military, uh, everything. But I'm going to talk about, uh, let's turn my phone off. You know, that's, what have you got, the good, the bad, and the ugly on your phone? <laughs> you heard that, did you? I did. <laughs> I can see Clint Eastwood coming through saying, I'm going to get you a pillow. Yep, that's, my, that's my ring on my phone. Yeah, I'll be darn okay. I forgot to turn that off. Anyway. After our story, we're going to talk about the homestead doctors, or house calls on the Great Plains. Uh, okay. So, you know, back in 1862, they passed what they call the Homestead Act in May 20th of 1862, and this made it possible for ordinary people to get land of their own, and many settlers had already put down roots in the West uh, after the Great uh, Gold Rush. Well, they still needed food, and there were small farmers that were soon growing crops, 
And with this kind of trickle westward of uh, people, it soon became a flood of people heading west. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, towns sprang up along the immigrant trails and then, of course, spread out from there. Well, as settlements grew, doctors soon followed. And many came west for the same reason that others did, and that was to invest in land or dig for gold. Okay. Now, some of them accompanied the great migration of immigrants to the mountains and to the Great Plains during and after the Civil War, so 1860s right in there. Now, others uh, sought, their <clears throat> sought their fortunes at the gold camps, or they joined the Army as contract surgeons uh, during the Indian uprisings. And as a group, the frontier physicians were going basically where they were most needed and, of course, where they could make the most money. Mm -hmm. Now, it wasn't unusual for a doctor to work in several different places before actually settling down in one spot. Now, the practice of medicine held not a lot of prestige in the 1800s. Uh, the profession was not very lucrative. But by the late uh, century, medicine had begun... Uh, to kind of seem more promising. And so a lot of people decided they wanted to be doctors. Now, the medical schools back east, they were turning out actually too many graduates, and the profession actually became a little bit overcrowded back in that time. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop right there. You say they were turning out too many graduates, but were they graduating with any kind of quality? You know, that's the big question. And... Uh, some of the things I have read is that uh, during the mid-1800s back in there, there was a point where sometimes you were better off to uh, doctor yourself rather than call in a doctor. And I'm, mm. not, I'm not putting them down. They, uh, they did what they thought was right. But sometimes it was wrong. I see. And you can okay. ask George Washington about that. All right, I will. I'll call him after the program. Yes. Okay. Uh, and ask him about being bled four times oh. before, before he died. Oh, my. So anyway, but again, not putting them down. They, they did the best they could. Yeah. Now, because of this great influx of doctors, a lot of young graduates of medical school often had to support themselves by doing other things. They had to go into farming or some of the business. So a lot of them looked west and thought, okay, that looks like a pretty good place to head out. Now, also, some of them headed west because the overpopulation in the east it lended itself towards disease, and coming out west was basically healthier for, mm -hmm. them, for the doctor of themselves. Mm -hmm. So with only primitive transportation, of course, and rough roads, uh, a lot of the families out west were isolated. You know, nobody around for miles. And so these were the people that the homestead doctor served. Now, in the early days, some doctors rode a regular circuit to visit these isolated settlers. And later, as mining, ranching, and railroad uh, communities formed, a lot of these doctors established a permanent practice. So the small-time doctor faced kind of a unique challenge. Not only was he responsible for the lives of his neighbors, his friends, and family, but because he lived in the community where he practiced, he saw his successes and his failures every day when he walked down the street. Oh, boy. So, say, for example, the bad result of, say, somebody that had a broken leg, and maybe he didn't get it quite set like it should, uh, and every day as he walked the streets, he would see this fellow limping down the street. Now, some doctors, however, were blessed with plain luck or earned respect only uh, early in their practice, 
that kept them from uh, too much criticism. Mm-hmm. Now, a young doctor's reputation could be made or broken with a single case. All it had to do is, you know, the death of somebody or uh, just a wrong diagnosis. But a few good, successful results usually assured a community that the new doc could be trusted. Yeah, I mean, there's he, he didn't know what he was doing. nothing worse than seeing a guy with a broken leg with one leg headed north and the other one headed south. That's right. And, uh, you know, you and I are old enough, Zeb, to know that even in a small town like Burley or Murtaugh or back where you grew up, there was a few doctors, and uh, their reputations depended on uh, their successes. Absolutely, yeah. So... Now, even for doctors who had offices in town, uh, the majority of medical visits were house calls, and mostly by horse and buggy, and of course later by automobile, Mm -hmm. the country doctors rode out to see their patients, and some of whom might live 50-plus miles away, and whatever time and whatever weather, when the call came, they went. Yep. Now, the house call is a medical service that uh, I'm going to guess... Many of our listeners out there probably do not remember. There might be a few. I do. Do you? Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, th- you know, it happened even in our lifetime. But on the frontier, doctors usually went to see their patients rather than the other way around. Yep. Doc Adams so, did it all the time. Even, even in the East, almost all health care took place in the home. Yep. yep. Now, because doctor services were expensive, you know, a lot of families tried to take care of their own medical needs and called in the doctor only when it was unavoidable. So... For most ailments, the care of the mother or a neighbor seemed pretty good, but if a family member was suffering or appeared to be near death, then the call went out, go get the doctor. Right. And usually somebody left on horseback because uh, they usually didn't have telephones. But a house call could last for hours or even days. Hmm. Now, some of these good doctors spent a lot of time uh, at the bedside when their patient was desperately ill. They were expected to stay in the sick room for long periods. And since no specific treatments were known for most ailments, basically a comforting presence was about all the physician could offer. Look at old Doc Adams from Gunsmoke. Now, there was a guy that stayed there till they either lived or died. Right. Now, sometimes the doctor had to sleep in a strange, uncomfortable bed in a small, crowded shack, uh, occasionally accompanied by bed bugs or lice. Oh, boy. Uh, made things a little more memorable. And a country doctor seldom knew what to expect when he or she left on a call, so they had to come prepared for everything and anything. So here comes the doctor's saddlebag or leather handbag, which was basically a mobile clinic. Mm -hmm. Now, the doctor's saddlebags were often fitted with compartments for bottles and instruments, uh, everything ready to carry to the bedside, and it's remarkable how much the doctor's bag contained. Absolutely. He had a whole bunch of vials of powdered and liquid drugs, antiseptics, syringes, needles, sutures, tourniquets, plasters, a stomach pump, and who knows what else that they carried. Yeah. So, I mean, they had to work on everything from a sore throat to a broken leg, so the bag contained everything that the guy needed, hopefully. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Now, a typical house call went something like this. The doctor sat by the patient's bed, never standing over him, and visited with the family, all of whom usually crowded around the sick person in the room. And they talked about the weather or the crops or whatever things to kind of make the family feel at ease. And then uh, he removed a large gold watch from his vest pocket. He would grab the patient's wrist and uh, count the, the radio pulse. Now, a wise doctor consulted with the elders in the family about the patient's condition and their experience with the illness and knowledge of of the case, which was always helpful if they had a little history, especially if it was a young child. Absolutely. really couldn't talk. 
But then the doctor would lay his hands on the sick person's forehead and their, on their cheeks and on their neck and, and with great concentration, uh, both to help with the diagnosis and, if you think about it, to reassure the patient and the onlookers. I mean, when you think about the laying on of hands, when you're, if you have something that hurts, you want the doctor to touch that spot, right? The knee or the elbow or the shoulder. Well, thermometers were kind of rare outside of the medical centers of the East. So if frontier doctors carried them, they usually got broken in saddlebags and one thing or another. So uh, they became really good at determining the presence of a fever just by touch. I mean, that's all they had. Mm. So a good doctor recognized the value of touch and, like I said, the laying on of hands. And once, uh, you know, that was an important tool for the family doctor. And, of course, trust and faith uh, in this doctor that, uh, you know, if, you're, if you've got a doctor looking over you and you trust that guy, that, that goes a long ways towards getting you better. Uh, it's pretty hard to trust somebody that when you got a broken leg, they come in and touch your ear. That's right. Or <laughs> uh, want to remove the wrong kidney. So, uh, but, you know, after the doctor felt the patient's face and forehead for a fever, his hands moved to the patient's stomach and to feel for any masses or tender areas and enlargement of organs such as the liver or the spleen. Uh, the doctor then listened to the heart and lungs with his stethoscope, and he'd, of course, open the mouth and look at their tongue and their lips. And, and some of the most up-to-date physicians might also have the instrument to check for blood pressure. Oh, my. Which a lot of them didn't back then. Yeah. They would have an otoscope to look in the ears. They'd have an ophthalmoscope to look in their eyes, most of them. Now, once the physician arrived at a diagnosis, he would prepare a prescription. Now, back then, there were few tablets available. Mm -hmm. So most medicines were actually powders, which were in little tiny bottles. And so the doctor would put those together uh, as he saw fit. So usually he would use the tip of his pocket knife, and he would select from several different vials or bottles, and he'd take out the proportions that he thought he needed. He would blend the powders, and then he would fold each dose into a square, uh, into a piece of newspaper, and then fold it up. Oh, my. So the medicine could be easily transferred to a teaspoon or a glass of water. Sure. So, again, the exact amounts were based on the doctor's uh, experience. So, now, in cases of pneumonia where the patient was very sick and no experienced nurse was available, the doctor would remain by the bedside uh, just working with the patient and changing the positions of the patient until the crisis occurred, a, a sharp drop in fever and sudden improvement. And this could take days. Uh, yeah. And this was before antibiotics, remember. Yeah, right. Couldn't just come in and shoot them up. But before the doctor left, he would instruct the members of the household on the patient's care, and uh, then he would leave, and more than likely, sometimes he'd have to come back. But, you know, a lot of the doctors spent a lot of their time on the road, on horseback, by horse and buggy, now occasionally actually by train. Mm -hmm. Now, the doctor might spend days traveling on one trip going to see a patient. Holy and cow. Think back, you know, you've been in the northern states here, Montana, Idaho. Think of the weather. I mean, the snowstorms, the rainstorms, the rough roads. Yeah. Uh, and it could even, you know, even dangerous people along the road. And sometimes it uh, took so long to get uh, there that the doctor, of course, arrived too late. And the patient was gone. Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know. But the doctor on horseback or in a buggy was a familiar scene, clip-clopping around on the narrow roads, uh, from moving from house to house at all hours in all weather. And there was comfort and reassurance in knowing that the doctor was on the job. 
And the doctor's posture, I hadn't thought about this before, but it kind of told what was going on. Really? If the doctor was just kind of on his wagon and he's kind of sitting, kind of relaxed and easy going, you know that things were okay, pretty routine. But if the doctor was sitting upright on the wagon and putting the whip to the horse, you knew that there was an emergency somewhere. Oh, yeah. So he was headed out in a hurry. But, again, horse travel on these isolated roads uh, was unpredictable. It was risky. And all these frontier doctors made house calls uh, at their own peril. And in fact, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. There was a Dr. Robinson uh, who actually lost his life in June of 1865 while attempting to cross a river at flood stage. Uh, it seems bad weather brought risks, you know, of all kinds of accidents, but one of the biggest dangers of horse and buggy travel was the possibility of a runaway. Mm-hmm. And again, you've been around horses, and I have, and, you know, horses aren't always just an easygoing, lackadaisical type horse. You think? <laughs> Sometimes a, a bee sting or a, something to spook them, and they're off and running. Rattlesnake, so, a piece rattlesnake, of paper, my yeah. goodness. In fact, there's a doctor lying up in Montana. He experienced five separate runaway accidents in his early practice. Holy and smokes. in one of these, he got dumped and dislocated his own shoulder. Oh, my. So then there was another doctor. His name is Dr. Bill. He was a well-known frontier doctor. He was killed when his team ran away. It seems his team had taken an unusual road. They went over an embankment nearly 20 feet high. The doctor landed uh, on the back of the wagon, which was found upside down, and, and he was dead. Oh, my goodness so, sakes. Now, another uh, tough thing was fording rivers when it was a real hazard. In fact, there, I'm going to tell you another story. There's a Dr. Reynolds. Him and his wife were do- both doctors, and they practiced up, to, up in Montana. Well, one afternoon, the doctors, Reynolds, uh, got a call to go to a place called Gardner, which was on the other side of the Yellowstone River. Mm-hmm. And the message was, come quick, my baby is burned bad. Oh, my. So, anyway, to ford across the river would eliminate a lot of miles, and uh, it was an extremely dangerous decision. But the doctors chose to take the chance. So, the doctors, Reynolds, uh, here's, here's what they said in their own words. Before we went, we're halfway across, the water was rushing under the seat, but there was no going back. We crawled up on the back of the seat, and I clutched the medicine bags under my arm. The horse got beyond his depth and started to swim, and the buggy buggy swung downstream with the current. Oh, boy. Then the horse began to go out of sight. Uh Uh-oh. The doctor laid the whip on her. She plunged violently forward and struck bottom, and in just a few minutes had scrambled out on the other bank. Now, if that doesn't get your heart going, I don't know what would. I'll tell you what, now, I was a little worried there for a moment. <laughs> well, now another one, uh, another uh, doctor, uh, this, the same Dr. Uh, Reynolds, his wife, was passing through up there in Montana up by Yellowstone Park. And uh, just as she was coming around the corner, a great big old grizzly bear stood up on his hind legs. Well, the horses weren't too fond of uh, grizzly bears, and they took off a running. And they ran for about a mile over rocks and all kinds of rough ground, but the doctor was able to pull them in. And they didn't uh, tip the buckboard over. Didn't tip, didn't tip it over, but uh, and she was, you know, again, a pretty, pretty close call. Woo! But you know, naturally, when a uh, doctor received a call, he or she had to weigh the circumstances and the dangers. The decision depended on the distance, the weather, the roads, and sometimes she chose to go regardless of the risk and only luck. You know, prevented tragedy. Wow. Uh, in fact, there was a Dr. Chapel. Uh, 
he got the call and there was a storm, a snowstorm. Well, the journey there and back was about 36 hours and he managed to deliver a healthy eight pound baby boy. Wow. But this Dr. Chapel made a lot of, uh, many more trips during his practice, but uh, one extremely difficult journey led to his premature death. It seems like uh, he was traveling in the spring, it was cold, it was rainy. Uh, the roads, it took 30 hours uh, of a long trip to get there and back. And because of, uh, it was so hard on him that it weakened him and basically he died from uh, exposure. Oh my. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm exposed to a clock that's running out. I've got to say goodbye. <laughs> I, I noticed that. I'm watching my clock, and it's a good thing because I'm at the end of the story. Well, you know what? This was really interesting about Frontier Doctors. Oh, let me take, just tell you one quick one. It's only oh. going to take 10 seconds. Okay. One doctor, he was out making a house call, and he stayed a little too long. It was 12 miles from town. His horse got tired and headed for home without him. The doctor got ready to go. His horse was gone. He ran for four miles before he finally caught up with his horse. <laughs> Holy smokes. And and the patients paid for that, too. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure they did. <laughs> hey, listen, doctor-history.com. How are things going? Well, we've had 32,000 hits on our web page oh, wow. uh, in 25 different countries. You know the odd thing, Zeb? We have not one listener in Wyoming. Now, really? All across the world, all across the United States, and, you know, Utah, California, Montana, Washington, nobody in Wyoming, our neighbor state. Hello, so Wyoming. Wyoming. Wake up, Wyoming. Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we still continue to have our listeners from China. Oh, my. We haven't had relations severed yet. That's good. University. Okay. Well, now, listen, we got to keep plugging that, doctor-history.com. You can hear all the previous uh, stories that we've talked about. Just go to doctor-history.com. And, uh, Ken, you always do such a wonderful job, and I say good luck on your family gathering. Oh, we'll have a great time. We oh, always do. All right. Tell them all I said hello. All right. You have a good day, Zach. God bless you, man. Thanks. You bet. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.